So we are in a, a new series, and in that series we are addressing uh, what's, what's not just a concern now, it's in the news now, we're more aware of it, we're actually more willing to talk about it than we've been in past days, but it's not new to the human condition, it's uh, mental health. The issue of mental health, and it's it's one of those things that um, for uh, for a lot of folks, it's a it's a taboo uh, thing to talk about, and in the church especially, we've been reticent to talk about it uh, because it makes us uncomfortable. And and uh, you know, uh, my 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 daughter is a, a counselor; she she's a psychologist, and she is with us uh, this morning. Uh, she came to the contemporary service. And uh, last night we were talking and I was telling her I'm doing a men- mental health uh, series. And she was like, ooh, dad. Uh, number one, she knows how uh, I, the wrong thing can come in my mouth so many times. But she was like, that, that's tough in the church. And I said, well, what do, you, what do you mean? And she said, well, there are so many of my clients that have been hurt by the church. That when I, when they, when they come to me and stuff, that so many of them have been in churches where they've gone to, to a Sunday school class or to a pastor or, or well-meaning Christians who told them, if you really had faith in God or if you really prayed or if you really believed, you wouldn't have this problem. And it just, it, it scars them for life. So please don't do that, Dad. And I was like, I wasn't planning on it. And, and, and I, I think I, I clarified that last week, but before we move forward, I just want you to hear, number one, I'm not a doctor. Number two, I, there is a breadth of mental health concerns, right? And there is a breadth of severities to that. And not everyone can, can just fix their stuff with a change of attitude. There are folks that have hereditary conditions or chemical things going on in their brain that changes the way they're perceiving the world or a home run change or a a response to a, a trauma or a tragedy. There's all sorts of things that get combinated up in that. And so I am in no means trying to throw a wet blanket over that and say, just get it up, believe in God, and all your problems will go away. That's not what we're trying to say at all. What we're trying to say is that I'm trying to offer some principles from scripture that I think no matter where you fall in that mental health scale, they're good practices for us to lean into a relationship with God, to open a door so we're not just dealing with science or medication or uh, some kind of uh, challenge, but we're opening ourselves up to the creator of the universe as well. And I just remind people over and over, we don't believe in magic in the church. We don't believe in magic. I have to remind parents about that with baptism. If you've never been to church and you want me to baptize your baby, I'm just going to say, you know, I'm not doing magic, right? Because we're making a covenant. No, nobody, everybody's tense right now. I get it, but I don't have my glasses, so I can't see your eyes. You'll figure out my, my, when I know I'm saying tough things, I don't wear my glasses because then I can't see your facial expressions as well. (laughs) But, uh, you know, we're not doing magic. Putting water on a baby doesn't mean they go to heaven. A relationship with God through Jesus Christ is how you go to heaven, right? We don't do magic. And too many times in the church, we present our faith as if it's magic. Oh, if you do A, B, C, you'll get D. It doesn't work that way. None of us have the same lives. None of us, it, there's not one size fits all. There are spiritual principles. There are uh, foundations that we can put, put our life on, but we don't get to just 
If you do this, your life will be good. Here's the five R's to a better relationship. Right? We, it makes good preaching. It's, it's horrible advice. What we want to do this morning is, is talk honestly about something that, that um, frankly, the church has been unwilling to talk about. And part of it is, uh, if you're new to the faith, and if you came to God in, later in your adulthood, you're not going to understand this because you came to God knowing that you were messed up. And, it, and you came to God recognizing that and accepting his help. Those of us that grew up in the church, we lie to ourselves that we're good. And we try to convince ourselves we don't really need God. And so we put on an act for everyone. Even though we're suffering at home and even though the weight of the world is weighing on us, we're never going to show anybody that. Don't let them see you sweat. That's our, that's our, as we, as we, function with one another. And therefore, we don't necessarily want people to know the things going on. But I think if we can't talk about hard things in church, then where else can we talk about them? If we can't ask questions about God, where else can we ask questions about God in the church? If we, if we can't talk about our doubts and fears, if we can't wrestle with understanding the Bible, if we can't wrestle with the way the world works and politics and everything and how that applies to our faith in the church, where else are we going to do it? You don't have to be a scientist or, or read a bunch of studies to know that mental health needs in our, in our culture are at an all-time high that the stress of the world is getting to folks, which, uh, I mean, we act surprised at that, but we shouldn't be. This whole series, I'm I'm aiming you, if you were here last week, I gave you the end at the beginning. Where I'm taking us is a talk about how God designed the world with an answer to a lot of the the stress and pressure that we feel. It's it's this idea of a Sabbath practice. It's this idea that we don't need to be going 24-7. We weren't designed to go 24-7. That even God on the last day, uh, we talk about how God in creation made something out of nothing. But on the seventh day, God made something out of nothing. Wait, he made nothing into something. There you go. That was so good and I messed it up. (laughs) He made something out of nothing, but on the last day he made nothing into something. The idea of rest, that we, we are programmed from the time he, he spoke word into us, breathed breath into us. We are designed to have boundaries around us, to have margin in our life, to have space to be able to function. But we've given that away and we've, and it's been pretty recently. I mean, there's been a trend towards it in the modern age. Since the industrial age, there's been a trend toward it. But over the last 20 years, it has gone away exponentially. And we, we didn't fight it. We just gave it away. And part of it is because we benefit from giving it away. There's a lot of you, uh, like me, old enough to remember blue laws on the books, right? And you couldn't go buy a car. You couldn't, there wasn't things open and everything. And before we get all holy roller on that, yeah, you shouldn't be doing it. Well, how many of you go out to eat on Sunday? We enjoy that, right? And so that's the kind of thing that sort of crept in. I remember as a coach, Sundays and Wednesdays were reserved for church. You didn't do sports or anything on that. Well, that's not, that's not free anymore. And we can talk about those societal things, but we do things to ourselves to take away boundaries and stuff. We carry our office in a device on our, in our hip or in our purse. 
This little thing connects us in a way that we have never been connected in the world, which there's great things that we can do with with um, technology. So I'm not talking about the bad thing about technology, but the bad thing about this is it's really hard for us to unplug. If you, those of you that, that uh, people work for you or with you or whatever, have you, have you tried to take a couple days without answering your phone? They'll send the police to your house <laughs> looking for you, right? What happened? We just needed to check. You didn't answer the text within 20 seconds, right? It's just, we, we, we tie ourselves over and over again. Parents, we do it to our kids. We schedule every moment of their lives from the time they get up. And we, that's not enough, so we push them. So we're waking them up at 3 o'clock in the morning so they can do this and this and this before they do this. And then we, and then, then we got to get to bed and get up so we can get... We, we do it to our kids. We do it to our spouses. We do it to one another. We do it in churches. We do it in, in organizations. We're constantly pushing, 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 pushing. And a lot of it's for good reasons and stuff. It, the, the church is one of the culprits that if we're not careful, the church can encringe on your boundaries. Most of the ministry we do, the successful ministry we do, is because of people like you that say yes to joining us and volunteering your time. And that's awesome and great. But we, the church needs to do an, the uh, the same kind of job in teaching that at times it's good to say a holy no to being asked to be in everything. We're not designed to run 24-7. We're not designed to carry the, 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 the cares of the world on us. Today our word, uh, our, our theme is about being overwhelmed. Last week was anxiety. This is overwhelmed. Next week is being tired. All of these are synonyms. They all go together. They all overlap. But they all have to do with when we run 24-7, when we're trying to carry everything, do everything, be everything, go everywhere, never miss out. When we're doing that, we these kind of things, these kind of warning lights are going to start going off. Overwhelmed is the word for the day. I think all of us have a sense of what it means to be overwhelmed when it, when it's like a lot of time, all of us are busy and all of us sort of function in multiple ways. And it's like we're this circus, this uh, master class circus clown juggling seven balls. And we, we can do it most of the time. And then all of a sudden the world throws you a chainsaw and, and then everything comes off, right? That, that's, that's what being overwhelmed is about. Corporately, we talk about it like burnout. Actually, that's a big word in church work as well. Over the last uh, five years, the number of pastors leaving ministry has reached, uh, it's 35% the last I read, of pastors leaving ministry well before um, their time to retire. You've been if you if you've been watching news or reading about news, there's this talk about the quiet quit that's happening in corporate America. You you hear about it in teachers and stuff like that. That people who have given themselves in an organization, uh, especially over the time of COVID, that were overused and underappreciated, and and uh, were expected to work 24/7 uh, without even a thank you, and the higher ups claim all the glory, take all the profits, but the workers just keep working, 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 and they're not appreciated. The quiet quit happening in corporate America is people trying to own their lives again that say, you don't pay me enough to give my whole soul away to you, right? Being overwhelmed, it's a part of who we are. 
It's a part of humanity. We're going to read a, a psalm from David where he uses the word overwhelmed a couple times. That it, the pressure coming, we just, it's, it's too much. We're, we feel weighed down by it. It's like it, it keeps coming at us, coming at us, coming at us, and we, we can't hold up anymore. In another psalm, not one I'm reading right today, but one I've been reading this week, I'm, David says, I feel like I'm in mud up to my neck. Just that sense of the pressure of life coming at us. And, and just like last week when I talked about anxiety and said anxiety isn't a sin, I want to tell you being overwhelmed isn't a sin either. Let's, let's read and then I'll develop that point a little more. Let's read together. Psalm 55. <coughs> Excuse me. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my cry for help. Please listen and answer me, for I am overwhelmed by my troubles. My enemies shout at me, making loud and wicked threats. They bring trouble on me and angrily hunt me down. My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop shaking. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, then I would fly away and rest. I would fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. How quickly I would escape far from this wild storm of hatred. Confuse them, Lord, and frustrate their plans, for I see violence and conflict in the city. Its walls are patrolled day and night against invaders, but the real danger is wickedness within the city. Everything is falling apart. Threats and cheating are rampant in the streets. It's not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It's It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it's you, my equal, my companion, and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of the Lord. Let death stalk my enemies. Let the grave swallow them alive. For evil makes its home within them. But I will call on the Lord, and the Lord will rescue me. Morning, noon, and night I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. He ransoms me and keeps me safe from the battle waged against me, though many still oppose me. God, who has ruled forever, will hear me and humble them. For my enemies refuse to change their ways. They do not fear God. As for my companion, he betrayed his friends. He broke his promises. His words are as smooth as butter, but in his heart is war. His words are as soothing as lotion, but underneath are daggers. Give your burdens to the Lord, and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall, but you, O God, will send the wicked down to the pit of destruction. Murderers and liars will die young, but I am trusting you to save me. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be God. Psalm by David. Uh, it, 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 this is one. Uh, this is a psalm that they refer to as a messianic psalm, meaning that not only did it have uh, application in David's life, but you can you can see it as prophetic for the life of Jesus. David, King David, David, little boy David, David, anointed king at an early age. David, uh, David, uh, and Goliath. David, uh, David uh, was a man. Uh, in the Bible, known as a man after God's own heart. David had a lot of adventures with the Lord, had a big and deep faith with the Lord, also did some amazingly stupid and moral things. But no matter what, David had this recognition that he needed God. 
And in the Psalms, uh, I love David's Psalms. Not all of them are written by David, but especially David's Psalms. I, I love reading them because they're just so real and raw. They're, they're not this pretend, you know, fancy language that we use. He, he, he cries out. And I think that's part of why God says that he was a man after his own heart because there was no pretense with David. He, he just, he shared what he was thinking. And in this, uh, this is uh, probably when David was king. There's some disagreement on what, what particular time in his life this was. But most people think this was when he was king and one of his close companions tried to overthrow him and overtake his government. And so he is feeling betrayed by a friend. Well, as we can understand that. But as a messianic psalm, it applies to Jesus as well. And Jesus was also betrayed by a friend. His name was Judas, right? I said, as we began, I want you to hear being overwhelmed is not a sin. Well, David demonstrates that for us. But if that's not good enough for you, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ demonstrates that for us. That he was overwhelmed. Do you remember the story after Judas betrayed, uh, after Judas left the room before he came with the army to get him? Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He'd ask his friends to pray with him. They couldn't even hang with him for a little bit. Uh, they kept falling asleep. And it says that he was so overwhelmed and so stressed by by what lied ahead of him that he sweat blood. It's not a sin to be overwhelmed. It's a condition that we have to learn how to deal with. It's not, you're not doing something wrong. In fact, for David, this wasn't something he invited in on himself. This was an attack from the outside. Sometimes being overwhelmed, we can control some of it because we, we've just got lax on the boundaries we provide and we've not given ourselves space and room. But sometimes it's an attack coming at you, something you didn't think of, maybe cancer in your family or, or a, a, a child custody hearing that, that you're not sure how. I mean, there's so many things and it's coming at you. That's, that's nothing you control. You can only defend yourself. It's not a sin to be overwhelmed. But I think from this passage, we can... We can glean some principles, and I have three ideas for you today. And I've been forgetting for the last few days, the last few weeks, so I'm not, that's not happening this week. I've got them written down right here. I'm getting old. The first one is you've got to recognize what's going on. You've got to identify what's happening. Identify, right? David, is, it, it, he's rehearsing that as we, he sort of lays out the problem. God, I'm overwhelmed. I, I, I I'm angry, I'm confused, I'm overwhelmed. He, he's naming what's going on in his heart and his mind. And, and, and that seems like such a simple thing, but there is such power in that, that by naming it, that that opens a road to healing and opens a pathway to start to move out of the pit you're in into, into a, a recovery process or whatever by naming it or identifying it. I was reading about this psychological study and they were doing it on fear and uh, the effects of identifying your fear as a recovery method. A lot of times in 
fear uh, counseling. They're trying to change the way you frame a picture. So if, if like if you're afraid of spiders, uh, one way is is instead of dealing with the spider, you convince your mind that the spider's something else, and that way you train your mind to think in a different way. But in this study, they they took it head on they got a group of people 88 people that were uh deathly afraid of spiders and they brought this big old tarantula into a room in a glass case and set it in the in in the and half the people were out the room right there but then they opened it up and then they told the people the goal is we want you to be able to come up and touch the spider and so and then they said We want you to pay particular attention to what you're feeling. And tonight when you go, and and, and in the hours that lie ahead, we want you to journal what you're feeling and identify what you're feeling. And they did this over a course of three or four days. And the ones who were willing to tune in and identify, it only took two or three sessions before, by naming their fear and identifying it, they were now able to address it and the majority of people were able to go up and pet the, the spider because they were admitting what was going on in their life. You know, part this seems so this seems so simple, but folks, here's something I've learned about myself, and I'm sure it's true about you. The person I lie to the most is myself. Right? I can live in denial of what's really happening and I can reframe and rationalize and do things in a way that doesn't allow me to deal with reality. But this, this, this takes us to a different way where we start saying, no, there's something going on. And, and however that manifests itself in your life, maybe, maybe you're losing your temper way too easily. Maybe the, your, your spouse is, is wondering why you're so grumpy all the time. Maybe your grandkids, um, run away when you walk into the room. That probably has to do with something else. But but there, there starts to be signs and stuff. And when that starts to happen, if we just sort of try to close it out and go about our day and not pay any attention, nothing's going to change. But if we can start to identify what's happening, well, now I'm aware of what's happening and and this is actually what good counseling does. If you go to a counselor that that is good, what they're going to do right at the very beginning is try to help you identify what it is you're trying to work on, right? I don't do a lot of counseling. I'm not a trained counselor, but a, a, a lot of times people will come to me as like a first step and it usually ends with, I'm not good enough, go to someone else. But, um, but you know, they come in, they'll tell this whole big story. And the question I always ask is, tell me where we're going with this. Where, where, where are we going? That's a lot of story. That's a lot of drama. Where, what, 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 what in that story is what you want to address? We, we need to identify it. That's, that's how you start. And a good counselor is going to be able to, instead of just talking about the problem, talking about the problem, talking about the problem, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed. I'm, well, well, let's identify what, where's that coming from? Right? And that's what David does. So how do we practice that? I, I've got some ideas on that. Just like in this study, the people that with the spider, they journaled to name it, right? And that's a, that's a long-held uh, spiritual practice that's, that's ancient, that re- continues to be something uh, people of faith use as a spiritual growth mechanism. Guys, I, we got to move past the idea that it's a, like a 
a fifth grade girl's diary. You know, I saw Jim and he smiled at me and he made me smile. That, it's not that. It's, it, it's more a, a identifying of your day, a, a, a breakdown of your day, a, just trying to reload your day. If you do it in the morning, looking forward to the day. If you do it in the evening, there's different ways that people do it. But it's not writing down everything you said or anything, but, but just identifying trends in your day. I, I not, I've been noticing that my temper has gotten the best of me in several situations. I, I'm, I need to figure out what's going on. Just things like that can, can help. Identify. Journaling's one way to do that. Another long-held spiritual practice that too many of us don't take advantage of is having a trusted relationship with someone who you can talk with. In church, we call these accountability relationships. Monica's covenant group she's doing, those of you that are in the mass community and have a reunion group, or some sort of covenant or life group, or a trusted friend or mentor that you can have a real conversation with. And a lot of people will tell me that's their wife, and that's great until your wife is part of the problem. Or you're her problem, right? You need some folks that you can have honest, trusted care. And these don't come easy. They, they take a long way to, to develop. But once you have them, it's one of the greatest gifts you'll ever have in your life. To have somebody that you can rehearse things with and bounce things off of and receive counsel from. If you don't have that in your life, start praying for it right now. And it's not something you're just going to walk into that ability to have that kind of... Re- but it, you start the journey. No matter how old you are, you need that kind of relationship. It's amazing how in the New Testament there's so many one another passages. The whole New Testament is is about we can't do this thing by ourselves, but we continually try to make our faith personal instead of being with one another. Pray for one another. Bear each one another's burdens. Care for one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. All those exhort. Do that with a trusted relationship, two, three, four people that have your back and you have that, that have your best interest at heart. The other place to do that is really a safe space. And that's with your Father God. That's what prayer is about. Prayer isn't just... In the church, we've done a horrible job of teaching prayer. We, we model it by using fancy language in a formal setting. But prayer isn't meant to always be formal. There's a time and a place for that. But in your everyday life, prayer doesn't have to begin and end with, Oh, Heavenly Father, blessed art thou the Lord. of We don't have to go through all the gobbledygook with that. We, you don't talk like that with your spouse, do you? Like when I come home, I don't, Lori, I approacheth the house about 5 o'clock p.m. I wondereth if we have groceries within the refrigerator for which we might prepare a dinner. Wouldst thou look inside and let me know? That's not what you do. I'm running late. Did you go to the grocery store? That's what we ask, Right? Don't do, some of you were here when Monica preached one of her first times and at the end of the service she was supposed to give the benediction and she wasn't prepared for it. So she just ended up giving the black power symbol. 
Go in peace. Yeah, I mean, it's, there doesn't have to be this formality. It's this. That's what da- the, the rawness of what David says. He talks about his enemies and how he wants them to to be to pay the price and be dealt with. They're murderers and liars. It's this honest identity of recognizing his problem and then bringing it to God. So identity, you can do that journaling. You can do that with trusted friends. You can do that in prayer with God. The second thing is to verbalize the problem. Now verbalize, we, there's some of us in the room use lots of words every day. Others of us in the room have a, a, a limited number of words. It's not about the number of, of words that you use, but finding a way to begin to talk through strategies and answers to this. Again, this, this is one of those things that sounds so ridiculously simple, but there is, there is really a power in talking through something with others by reflecting. When, when the language that comes out of our mouth gets reflected back to us, we hear it in a new way, right? The, the counseling I do that has any um, sort of effect or, or uh, fruit from it is nothing more than me simply listening and saying back to them what I heard. And just in that practice, folks hear things in a different way. And that's what David begins to do. And, and, and you can see him processing this. And he, he's overwhelmed. He's just overwhelmed. And then in, in verse 6, and I think every one of us can identify with this, in the midst of his overwhelmment and in the midst of the pressure he's feeling, he says, oh, that I had the wings like a dove and I could just fly away and rest. I would fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. How quickly I would escape far from this wild storm of hate. I think every one of us has that, you you know, when it's gotten so bad, you just wish you could escape and get away. You know, when ministry gets hard for me, when church stuff gets hard, here's my fantasy. This is how crazy it is. I start to daydream about being a school teacher again. (laughs) Oh, for the days when I just had crazy parents and stupid kids. Oh, that would be so fun. Right? But that's sort of that, that verbal thing you're, you're, you're processing. And, and, and if you had a trusted friend, they would say back to you, that sounds great, but you know you live here. And even if you go on vacation, that problem's going to be here for you. But that's just part of the processing. By sharing some, again, a good counselor, this is what they do. They've identified the problem. Now you talk about it. And, and, so what can you do about that? How do you feel in the midst of that? And all that stuff that us guys hate to think. We, don't talk to me about feelings and stuff. But it, God created us with emotions. It's good for us to do that. And you don't have to pay for a counselor to do that. Now, if, if you have some advanced uh, depression and stuff, please, you need to see. Uh, but as a spiritual principle, and even in addition to the counseling you're doing, you can go to those three sources again. You can journal about this. And you go back and read it, and when you read it, it sounds different than when you wrote it. Have you ever written a letter, and you hesitated in sending it, and you went back and read it, and then you threw it away? There's more of the people in our congregation that should do that. But um, <laughs> right, because when you read it, 
It sounds different from when you wrote it, right? So you can journal. You can go back to that friend. And that's the journey of life together. That's, that's how we do life together. The, the hardest thing for people to understand with the covenant groups that we're doing with Monica, as they step in it, they're so used to church programming that is surrounded by a curriculum. And when they come into that, our whole curriculum is you're doing your spiritual life together. That's our curriculum. You're going to reflect on how goes it with your soul? Uh, how are you feeling today? Where are you struggling? That's the curriculum. And we're so unused to that and we're so uncomfortable, but that's part of the strategy of how we deal with the stress. Because here, if, if I'm a young parent, uh, Sydney, um, the one that's a counselor that's staying with us, she has a three-year-old that never stops and she's eight months pregnant with a little boy that's coming now. And we were talking about what the future holds for them in three months from now. And she's basically, she's saying, I'm not going to see you again for six months. I think of me often, right? Because her life is just going to be, but when young parents can get together and talk through things, you begin to figure out, oh, I'm not the only one with a crazy life. When, if, if you're a cancer survivor and you get in a group with other cancer survivors, you, you get to hear it different. If you're divorced and you get to get in a group with other divorcees, you, you can, there's a camaraderie and a listening. If, if you're widowed and you're with in, in a group with other widows, there's, there's just this, that rehearsing it, that, that verbalizing begins the healing process. Then the last thing, verse 22 in this psalm, but I am going to put my cares into the hands of the Lord. I'm going to put my hand, my cares into the hands of the Lord. First Peter chapter two, cast your cares upon the Lord. Now here's where I have to be really careful as a pastor, because here's where that sort of glib uh, bumper sticker theology can get us in trouble. You've heard like, just give it to God. Just give it to God. Just give your care over to the Lord. And we, we teach that as if, you know, all you got to do is, I don't know why you're holding on to this. Why don't you just give it to the Lord? Well, that's not helpful. Thank you very much. And the fact of the matter is, most of us that are still dealing with stuff have tried to give it to God over and over and over. We have prayed. We have served. And this is where we do damage in the church if we don't talk this through. When I say give it to God... What I mean is we, we begin to, instead of carry the burden by ourselves, we weren't designed to do that. From the beginning of creation, we were not designed to do that. God, from, from the beginning, has been calling us, wooing, trying to, to teach us to discern. You don't need a king. You just need me. You don't need anything else. You don't need me. You just need me. You don't, you don't need all the other things. That, you need me. And we continue to resist him and resist him and resist him. And he finally, instead of getting angry with us, he, he showed us the ultimate sign of that, that he took the brokenness and the sin of the world. He laid it on his son who was on a cross giving his life for us. All the sins of the world, all the sins of creation laid on him in a moment which he defeated and conquered and then says, have faith in me and I'll connect you with the future. In other words, Jesus is calling us all the time saying, don't carry that. That's not the way I made you. I made you 
that I wanted to carry that for you. I I wanted you to trust me. Matthew 11, come to me all who are weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Don't carry it by yourself. But in the midst of it, that's what we try to do. And so I'm not trying to give you a just take it to God, but I'm giving you that, that counsel that at some point, if you can change from trying to drag the burden that your life is around with you, to focusing your eyes on who God is, it can change things. I don't know how fast do I believe that Jesus is going to bring healing and wholeness to everyone who calls on his name. Absolutely. Do I think that's going to happen before I die? Probably not. It may be not until we see him on the other side. Do I believe all evil is going to be dealt with and righteousness and and order is going to be restored in the world? Absolutely I do. But I might be a part of the heavenly host when that happens. Not here on earth, but in the meantime, I still give my burdens over to God. Because what else am I going to do? It's like the disciples came to Jesus and he was like, are you guys going to leave me too? It was after a bunch of people had left him and and Peter, where would we go? You're our only hope. Give him God. Eddie, can you play for it? If you have your hymnal, um, turn to page 349. Would you just sing this chorus with me? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light glory and grace. So we'll sing that again in a minute, but when we do that, just if if something's been in your mind this, this morning, as we've been talking about this, you've had thoughts about what you need to identify or what you need to verbalize. Or maybe you're at the point where it's time for you to hand it over to God. But if you can just envision that you've been focused on your problem, And as long as you keep looking at your problem, all you're going to see is your problem. But giving it to God, in my opinion, means instead of making the problem my focus, I'm going to turn and look at the answer. So let's sing that again. And may that happen in your mind and spirit as well. 